Amen. Good morning. You may be seated. And thank you, band, for leading us in worship. Well, I say good morning and I say surprise because Pastor Steve called me on Thursday night and he is under the weather and he said, you're up. So uh, I'm here. I am your substitute teacher today. And there are some rules that we will put in place. There will be no airplanes, no spitballs, and no one falling to sleep. Okay? Those are what we request today. Well, we're going to bow and pray and ask God's blessing upon our time together. Our Father, we bow before you as the God of heaven and earth. And as we've just prayed... We come before your throne of grace, seeking help and mercy in our time of need. And Father, we come to have dealings with you and that you would deal with our hearts. We pray that the Spirit of God and the Word of God would be the light that shines into our souls. And we pray, Lord, that you would work to edify us and to build us up in our most holy faith. We pray, our God, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified as we worship you. Bless us, we pray, for we ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Lights, camera, action. These are the words of the film director as he's producing a movie for consumer enjoyment. Every move is recorded, every word is heard. The cameras capture it all. And I want you to imagine that they are doing a film of your life. Everything that you do, everything that you say is being recorded for the entire world to see. That's a very frightening thought, isn't it? You all know where I'm going with this illustration. Yes, Almighty God hears all of our spoken words. He is recording all of our actions and deeds. But there is an additional aspect of this concept that I want us to consider today, an aspect that goes deeper than our spoken words and our manifest actions. I want us to think about the realm of our thoughts. One author says that our minds are a house of thoughts, Our mind is the breeding ground. We conceive thoughts, and those conceived thoughts give birth to children. How do we manage and govern our thought life? The mind is in the private realm, hidden from others. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.11, he said, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So no one really knows what's in my mind or in your mind but me and God. Many people who would never commit sinful actions are boldly and sinful in their thought life. Men and women who avoid sinful activities for fear of getting caught convince themselves that it's okay to indulge in these activities because no one will ever discover it. They are deceived into believing that it will not affect them. You see, sins of the mind don't need to wait for an opportunity. 
The mind can engage in sin at any time, any place, under any circumstances. And the habit of engaging in such thoughts take roots quickly and easily. These are destructive sins because they assault and defile the conscience, which in the arena of the mind is the only deterrent to sin. And many deceive themselves into believing that it will not affect them. Well, we want to delve into this topic today. And our outline is a very simple one. We're going to look at God and what he has to say about thoughts. We're going to look at what the word of God has to say about man and thoughts. And then we're going to look into how it is, what helps we can have that will help us to maintain a thought life that is pleasing to God. In order to have a thought life that is pleasing to God, we must begin with God. We must understand one particular attribute about God, and that is God's knowledge. We must have more than a theological understanding of it. It must be a reality in our thinking and in our actions. The Bible clearly teaches that God does not merely have a general knowledge concerning matters, but he has a specific knowledge of each individual manner. He knows everything that there is to know. The theologian Louis Burkhoff defined it this way, the knowledge of God, that perfection of God whereby he is in an entirely unique manner, knows himself and all things possible and actual in one eternal and most simple act. You see, God's knowledge is not like man's knowledge. The knowledge that we have, we have to obtain from without. Everything that we have is supplied by God. All the doctors, all the lawyers, all the mathematicians, everyone has to get their knowledge from Almighty God. If God did not provide that knowledge, they would not have knowledge. God's knowledge does not result from observation. We observe things, we obtain knowledge. Not so with God. God knows all things. God sees things at once in their totality and not piecemeal, one after the other. An example of that would be there's a war going on in Ukraine. We see the war, and we don't understand all the implications of that war. Not so with God. God sees the whole thing in its totality. He has a perfect knowledge. In Psalm 94, verses 9 through 11, the writer penned these words. He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Or consider 1 Samuel, where Hannah was praying to the Lord. She was barren, and she was crying out and pouring out her soul unto God. And and these words were spoken by Hannah. Talk no more so proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him 
actions are weighed. Job said, with God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding, Job 12, 13. And then we go to Isaiah 40. God's writing and he's talking to the children of Israel who had been rebellious against him. And Isaiah writes this, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint nor grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. You see, God's knowledge is perfect, all-inclusive, all-comprehensive. God knows all things, present, past, and future. He knows the hidden essence of things. He knows what's possible as well as what is actual. All things that might occur under certain circumstances are present to his mind. Theologians call this the omniscience of God. Why is this important? It's important because in the word of God, God specifically addresses the issue of our thoughts in relationship to his all-inclusive and all-comprehensive knowledge. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, Samuel was given instructions by God to go appoint a king, and he was sent to the house of Jesse. Jesse had a number of sons, and they were parading before Samuel, and Samuel surely thought that one of those sons was the one that God would choose based upon the outward appearance. And there was one son that wasn't there. And listen to what God said to Samuel regarding the choice of a king. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on appearance, on his appearance, or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, speaking of one of the sons of Jesse. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Another verse, 1 Chronicles 28.9, David is given a charge to his son Solomon to follow the Lord. And he writes, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Another familiar verse some of you may know is Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4, which talks about God's perfect knowledge of man. The psalmist writes, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Jeremiah says, God makes this statement to Judah. 
dealing with their sin. In Jeremiah 17, 10, Jeremiah writes, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And then finally, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel was addressing the wicked counselors in Israel who were leading Israel down the path of rebellion. Ezekiel writes, And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me, and he said to me, Say, thus says the Lord, So you think, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind. How much attention does God give to our thoughts? I found this somewhere, I don't remember where, but here's some numbers for you. Words related to the thought life or thoughts appear 265 times in the Bible, in the King James Version. And this does not include all the references to the heart. If we look at the references to the heart, we'll see it 832 times, covering 771 verses. So I think this is a pretty big issue with our God, wouldn't you? All right, let's take a look at what the Bible says about man and his thoughts. Naturally, we all know that man fell into a state of sin when Adam fell in the garden. And this fall grieved the heart of God. And as a result of the sinfulness of man, God destroyed the earth. He left one family on the earth, and that was the family of Noah. But listen to what God said just before the earth and the rain begin to fall. In Genesis 6-5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So we must understand that God has designed us in such a way that our actions follow our thoughts. The general sequence looks like this. We think about something. Our thoughts produce an attitude towards the focus of our thinking. Our thoughts plus our attitude produce an emotional response. Then we act out what we thought about. And the scripture clearly teaches us that this is the sequence of events. In Jeremiah 11:8, Jeremiah is writing about the children of Israel and what they did. He says, yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore, I brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. God's making reference to the rebellion of the nation of Israel. He states that the people acted out what they had imagined in their minds. There's another verse that makes a clearer statement concerning this truth. Proverbs 23, 6 and 7. The writer says, do not eat bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like the one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. 
So you go to someone's house, they set you down and said, eat all that is before you, enjoy yourself. But in the back of his mind, he's calculating, how much is that going to cost me? I got to clean the place up now. And he's not really with you. And this is a sobering proverb because it cuts through the outward actions and clearly reveals the way we think is the way we are. God's assessment of our spirituality is not gauged by how we look in church. Everyone looks saintly at the worship service. God's assessment of us is when we're lying on our bed late at night and the lights are out and we are alone in our thoughts. You see, God knows what we think about when there's no one around to impress. God knows where our fantasies take us. God knows when we engage in daydreams. God knows when we've been critical of our neighbor or we have plotted revenge. God knows when we desire possessions or positions that he has not granted us. God knows when my thoughts have been dominated by anger. You see, what we are is what we think. We also must understand the origin of these evil thoughts. There are many in our day that would lay the blame for evil thoughts in the wrong places. Some would lay them at the feet of our past. Some would blame the enemy of our soul. Now, we understand that we do have an enemy that is always tempting us. He does throw fiery darts our way. And we need to be prepared with the shield of faith to fight off those fiery darts. But you know, we're not concerned with what men say. We're not concerned with the philosophies of the world. We are concerned with what the Bible has to say. And the Lord Jesus Christ made it abundantly clear that these thoughts arise in the hearts of men. In Mark 7, verses 20 to 22, Jesus said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For while within, for, excuse me, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. In James, in chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, he says this. Let me take a swig. said, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And get this, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
And James goes on to say, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, my brothers and sisters, we ought to be thankful that we have been redeemed by our Lord Jesus Christ. And that the intents and the thoughts of our heart are not continually evil. That is the description of unredeemed men without the knowledge of God. And some of you may be here today and you don't know our Lord Jesus Christ. And we encourage you to listen and to embrace so that God can work in your life, work in your heart. We have been redeemed. And God's expectation for his people is that our thoughts would be righteous. Proverbs 12.5 says, The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. And the psalmist asked the question. In Psalm 24.4, he said, Who can ascend to the hill of God? And he answers it. He said, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So we've heard what God has to say about thoughts. We've learned about his omniscience, his knowledge. We've looked at what he says about man and thoughts. And the question now is, is how do we maintain a pure thought life. What practical things must we employ to help us be successful or victorious in our thought life? Number one, I think we need to understand how much our thoughts are regarded by God. It must be our conviction that our thoughts evoke a response in the heart of God that will be a source of great joy or a source of great grief. The psalmist said in Psalm 1914, David, he said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David understood that his thoughts mattered to God. And David prays, God, help me. God, keep me from sinful actions. God, govern and sanctify my words and my thoughts. In Proverbs 15, 26, the word of God says, The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. So we must understand that our words matter to God. We must also cultivate, we should grow in our understanding of the omniscience of God and the fear of God. And the fear of God is not a popular thing to say in our day, but we want to do what the word of God says. And God says, a healthy fear of me is good. It's good. Our reverential fear of the Lord, it is good. 
Hebrews 4.13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You see, the word of God has that ability to expose all that is hidden. Now, the question is, do I believe that? If I believe that, then the word of God is going to be an important thing that I will make sure that I have input into my life. The old Puritans would say that we live before the face of God. In the hidden place, the secret place, is where all that is of value is produced. Did you get that? In the hidden place, the realm where only God sees, that's what really matters. Pleasing him. And you know, this can be quite liberating particularly for those of us that have a propensity to want to please men. Our primary goal is to be pleasing in God where no one else sees and only God can see. We must understand that he sees all and we must pray that he gives us the desire to please him. Proverbs 3, 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 8, 13, The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. One more proverb, 16, 6, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. We also must have a thorough conviction that the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cleanse our minds of evil thoughts. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God that he came. Thank God that he cleanses us. In Hebrews 10, 19 to 22, we read these words, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, Jesus helps us to maintain a pure thought life. We also must know the nature and character of evil thoughts. I borrowed this from Baxter, who was a Puritan that wrote many, many years ago. 
We need to understand that evil thoughts are all thoughts against the being, the attributes, the honor, or works of God. All thoughts of disobedience or opposition to the will of God. All unbelieving thoughts. All thoughts of pride. All thoughts against God-ordained duties. Covetousness. Thoughts of disobedience to the powers that God places over us. All wrathful and revengeful thoughts. All fearful and anxious thoughts. And I must confess to you, last night I had anxious thoughts. This morning I had anxious thoughts. And I had to pray for God to help me with those thoughts. And Bill Troutman was in the lobby when he came up from downstairs. He saw me he said, hey, I'm going to pray for you. And I said, thank you, brother. Thank you. All thoughts of lust and passion, all unjust thoughts. Thoughts that intend to injure others. These are all the thoughts that we are to hate and cast aside. When I'm on I-95 and I get cut off. Yeah. Those thoughts. We must also labor to make sure that the fountain which produces the flow of our thoughts is clean. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the spring of life. And from that, I, I, I say this, we are deceiving ourselves if we think that we can manage our thoughts. If we but control the stream we labor in vain. And that's when we turn to Christ. We go to Christ. We cast ourselves upon him. And with a sincere heart, ask that he cleanse us of all unrighteous thoughts. We must also stay far from the tempting things that fuel unholy thoughts. If the TV causes me to have unholy thoughts, then I need to stay away from it. Whatever the vice is, whatever would promote in you or cause you to think in unholy ways, we need to make sure that we cut it off and we stay far from that so that it will not fuel unholy thoughts in us. Job said he made a covenant with his eyes so that he wouldn't look upon a maiden in a way that wouldn't be pleasing to God. We are to make covenants with our senses so that we do not fall prey to fueling unholy thoughts. And we must remember how close cousins thought and deed are. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust intends, lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, a wicked thought and a wicked deed are from the same fountain. 
They have the same nature. The only difference between them is one is an infant and the other is full grown. We must commit ourselves to constant and careful obedience to Christ. We must understand that we are under his government. We are under his authority. Your heart is God's primary concern. Right? Yeah. God's concerned with my heart. Man can be concerned with my outward appearance, but God is concerned with my heart. And his word extends to all of our thoughts. And if we obey him, our thoughts will be pleasing in his sight. Now, I'm going to quote Baxter, Richard Baxter. Now, it's old English, so you got to play close attention, okay? He says, bethink you seriously what a government you would keep upon your thoughts. If they were but written on your foreheads, or seen by all that see you. Yea, or but open to some person whom you reverence. Oh, how ashamed would you then be that men should see your filthy thoughts, your malicious thoughts, your covetous and deceiving thoughts. And is not the eye of God 10,000 times more to be reverenced and regarded? And is not man your God if you are awed more by man than by God? And if the eye of man can do more to restrain you? Pastor saying, if men's eye is more important to you than God's eye, you're in trouble. We are to cast our sinful thoughts out at the beginning. Before they take root in our hearts, before they take up dwelling there, before they get deep into us. And the best time to do that is at the beginning. If you leave them there to ponder, they will grow roots and make their heart your home, their home rather. They will multiply. We must hit them off at the beginning. Case study, King David, you're familiar with King David? There was an event in David's life where he fell into sin with Bathsheba. The event happened here. But what caused the event happened way back there. Because there was not a checking in of his thought life. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul writes, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And basically what Paul says is we 
make thoughts go through an examination. When I go to ABG, Aberdeen Proving Ground, or any military base these days, what happens when I get there? There's a guard, and he wants to see my credentials. And if my credentials are good, he'll let me through. Well, the same thing happens in the realm of our thoughts. There needs to be a guard there. And that guard needs to check the credentials of the thoughts that enter in. And if the credentials don't meet the standard of the word of God, then that thought is to be cast aside. Now understand, this is hard work. This is not easy. It's not for the faint of heart because we have a relentless enemy that is constantly trying to tempt us with the fiery darts that we spoke about earlier. And remember that those fiery darts, that was the, the most deadly weapon, I guess you would say, in their day. They would take an arrow and they would put fire on that arrow and they would shoot it. Today it would be a missile. A missile launched at us. And they would take the shield of faith and they would use that to protect themselves from the fiery darts. Well, that's what we are to do in the spiritual realm. We are to take every thought captive so that we would be pleasing the Claret Christ. We are also to give ourselves wholly to God's work, be committed to being the best that you can be in all the duties and responsibility that God lays upon you. You be the best wife you can be. You be the best child that you can be. You be the best worker that you can be. And let me speak to young people. Please, Take seriously the word of God. Because in so many instances, kids grow up in churches and they go off to college and they are bombarded with the thoughts of this world and this age. And they buy the Kool-Aid and they drink the Kool-Aid. And I tell you, be careful. The word of God is most important. And you need to make sure that as these thoughts come your way, they are being examined and scrutinized by the standard of the word of God. I've seen too many shipwrecks in my life as a pastor. Folks that fail because they were not careful in terms of the word of God. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Keep that goal before you. Fill your heart with a love for God. Love him deeply. Love his word, love his commandments. What happens when you love someone? When you love the Savior, 
when I love my wife, what happens? I give myself for her. When we love Jesus, we give ourselves for him. He is the most important being in our life. We should consider his greatness, consider his wisdom, consider all his attributes. These are the things that should occupy our minds. And we also need to know the weaknesses of our own hearts. Do you know the weaknesses of your heart? Yeah, we know them. And we need to confront them and we need to deal with those weaknesses in our hearts. In all circumstances, Paul says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And we need to understand so that we're not outwitted by Satan. And the Bible says we should not be ignorant of his designs and his devices. Make the word of God a daily commitment. David said, how sweet, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Is the word of God sweet to you? It should be sweet to us. The word of God, the most important book in all of the world, has the power to change us, to convert us, to make us like Christ. And then finally... We should meditate upon the word of God. Joshua said, this book of the law shall not depart from my mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. This is preventive. We are children of God. But we can be tempted to think wrong thoughts. May God help us to think right thoughts. May God help us to rid ourselves of those thoughts that would try to creep in so that we will be pure before Almighty God. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Father, we pray that you would use the Word of God to help us in our daily walk with you, to be very aware of our thoughts, and to make sure that we do not let them take root in our hearts. We pray, our Father, that we would walk humbly but purely before you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he has called us out of darkness to light. And we're thankful, as Paul said, that we can trust him. Paul said he knows who he has believed. And he trusts that he is able to keep him. We trust that too, Lord. Thank you pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.